So welcome to episode 135 of The Lifestyle Chase. And I am joined by Lucy Hendricks and Harold Gibbons. Now, Harold, I noticed in your Instagram, it says Harold Kaufman Gibbons. Like, what what yeah. do you go by most commonly? Um, I think that everyone, everyone who I sort of like knew before I got married, I go by Harold Gibbons and I still have haroldgibbons.com. And then like legally, my name is Harold Kaufman Gibbons. If anyone is like going to come sue me it's harold kaufman gibbons <laughs> my wife and i my wife and i both hyphenated our names when we got married i think that's really cool um i'm gonna go off like on a sidebar like what what kind of shaped that decision like what what was it that uh influenced you to take that avenue like i i'm in full support of it but i'm just curious <laughs> i want to know the story um well we we sort of had like a, a conversation way before we were getting married about like uh, our our equality in our relationship. Welcome to the Lifestyle Chase, Season Two. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. I'm your host, Chris Little. Let's get started. The Lifestyle Chase is brought to you by Yeg Fitness. Yeg Fitness is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada's healthy lifestyle community, creating and supporting active living for all. Check them out online at yegfitness.ca and on social media at yegfitness. Um, and like, I didn't, I wasn't trading like three cows with my father-in-law for my wife. It wasn't like, it wasn't a purchase, right? It wasn't a sale. It's like, it's a dedicated relationship. And when we came together, Katie was like, I don't want to lose my last name it's part of my identity it's been part of my identity for for 27 years like it doesn't it doesn't make sense that half of the population more than half of the population is taught that their last name changes when they get married um and i was she explained that to me and i was sort of like okay like that's not what i grew up with i think i grew up thinking that my wife would have my last name and then i also grew up thinking a lot of like other stuff that's probably wrong and i will learn is wrong as i grow up more um, so we hyphenated our last names and it's, it's rad. Um, it's super I signed cool. An, yeah, I, I signed an that. email to her. I, I literally sent Katie an email the other day and I signed it like HKG. And she literally came into the, into the other room to be like, that was really cute. Um, <laughs> so I feel like, I feel excited about it. That's awesome. So the way I'm going to edit this is I'm going to have us doing the intro and the intro is going to be an icebreaker game. So I used to be a okay. camp counselor, so I'm full of these <laughs> icebreaker games. Um, so it's going to be two truths and one lie. So we're going to start with you, Lucy. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> this is hard. My favorite hobby is sprinting. Um, I like parrots more than I like cats and I am a really good baker I, I I feel like if I had to guess it would be the that you don't like parrots more than you like cats what do you think Harold I'm trying to think about how many pictures of food I've seen on your Instagram <laughs> I literally was like oh shit um I'm not positive, so I'm going to go with the cat's one. I was good at this. This was good. I'm not a good baker, and I had parents 
in Guatemala. I had really? parents, like, I, we ate together ice cream. Um, we would have the same food for breakfast. Yeah. That's <laughs> super cool. Art to have here. <laughs> That's and wild. I recently started sprinting during quarantine. I've never done any running. And sprinting's awesome. All right, Harold, it's your turn. Sprinting is awesome. So I tell you two truths and a lie. Great. Um, I have been, for quarantine, I've been eating popcorn almost every night. I have a twin brother. And I... What's a good one? What's a good one? I hate eggs. Well, I can see popcorn in the background, so. <laughs> I should, I thought I checked my visuals. Crap. <laughs> That's so awesome. I would say that the third one might be the lie. I think you might like eggs. I love me some eggs. <laughs> I think the only thing I like more than eggs right now is popcorn. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to take a shot at this, my two truths and one lie. I can play five songs on the guitar. I was a drummer for like 16 years or so. Still kind of a drummer. And I almost died running in a cross-country race. <laughs> the lie is the last one are you almost dying I did almost die in a cross country race wow yeah I'm glad like, you like <laughs> emotionally or physically no like I, I got take, picked up by ambulance it was heat stroke so I was running I was severely uh, dehydrated and like 3 kilometers into a 5 kilometer race I just collapsed uh. Fell down a hill, got, uh, like, they they poured water on me. I was, like, foaming at the mouth, and I got taken to the hospital, which is thankfully nearby, and I just remember mm -hmm. waking up and my family was around. So that one's the truth. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think you were a drummer. Yes, so I was a drummer. Guitar. So Yeah? Yeah, so, um, like, with, with the guitar, the context on the guitar, what makes that one my, my lie is that I can play guitar, but I certainly can't play five songs. Like I can, I have this one that I just, just I use that, and that's like my go-to like party trick. And mm -hmm. so I can only really count one or two, definitely not five. So I, I tricked you guys there. So <laughs> now we are going to introduce the Lifestyle Chase audience to Harold. So Harold. On let's say yeah. you're filling out your LinkedIn bio, what's it gonna be like? Mm -hmm. And then to add on to that, if you were at a family reunion and you had to tell your aunt what you've been up to the last decade, what would you mm -hmm. tell her yeah. in like thirty seconds or less? So it's a two part question, then I need you to answer yeah. both. Oh, this is so this is so great. Uh, I don't have a LinkedIn, so this makes me feel like I have extra pressure because I didn't have practice for this. Um, what would I put on my my LinkedIn? I I can do this in 30 seconds. 
So I went to, I started going to school for music when I left college. I went to school to, to play drums. And then I was like, I'm not sure this isn't the most fun thing ever. Like I wasn't a great student and I didn't, I don't, I didn't have the best relationship with my teacher. I went to the gym to like escape. And at the same time, I saw my dad get sicker and sicker from diabetes. And I went from thinking that the gym was my escape to thinking that the gym could have been beneficial for him. And I ended up leaving music school and going back to school for health and phys ed. And then my dad passed away when I was student teaching. And uh, the timeline in my head got shrunk down rapidly. And I went from thinking, all right, in 20 years, I could benefit these children to thinking this year, how can I benefit the people who are currently dealing with, with some sort of metabolic disease? Uh, and I spent some time coaching on Long Island, uh, some seniors at the, the, the local JCC and some like really high level uh, athletes at a baseball facility. And then I met Mark Fisher and Brian Patrick Murphy and Kyle Langworthy at Perform Better during a Thomas Plummer talk. And we, we hit it off and I heard some really, really weird stories from them. And then like three weeks later, my boss at the time was like, you should go interview with those guys. They're like right up your alley. So I've, I've spent the last, it's going to be seven years in September, last six and a half years uh, at MFF writing programs and running our class design. And we founded a trainer in residence program to teach some young up and coming coaches about all of the intricacies of, of coaching in on the floor that are that's not in textbooks. Um, and that's sort of like the, those are the things that keep me the most excited and the most passionate about what's going on in the fitness industry, helping people uh, develop their own autonomy and then helping coaches be, uh, for lack of a better term, be more relatable to the people that they're coaching. Well, I mean, that's really cool because I can relate to that whole like uh, finding escape through drumming, finding escape through through fitness. Um, yeah. And like such a powerful motivation to get into the industry too. Uh, like what, what age were you when, when your dad had diabetes, when you're trying to like, you're going through that time in your life? Um, I, I know that I started working out my senior year of high school because I wanted to, I was like the fourth guy on our, the attack line for the high school lacrosse team. And I remember being like, all right, if I'm just a little bit fitter, and stronger, I'll like become a starter. I wanted to start. And I ended up having more fun in the weight room than I did playing lacrosse. So I just ended up going to the gym instead of playing on the team. And my senior year, my dad got sick. And it probably, of my senior year of college, uh, sorry, of high school. And then it probably took me like three years to realize that the, his, the decline of his health from diabetes um, wasn't the... Uh, doctor expected decline. Um, I think that there's a lot of folks and and I, if I'm biased about this, please, both of you tell me, but I feel like there's a lot of folks who are like, I have um, high blood sugar and I take my insulin and then like, that's it. I just go about my life. There's, it, I don't think it's supposed to be a permanent solution. It's supposed to be a temporary solution with lifestyle change. And so it was really when I came home from music school, like two years later when I was or three years later when I was 21. And I sort of, I sort of saw like on a day-to-day -day basis how, how much his health had declined and how something as simple as diet and lifestyle is also so incredibly powerful. And it was around then that I was like, oh, I wanna, I wanna learn more about this so that I can help him and then hopefully help other people. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people have like uh, 
another motivation for being in the industry and to understand that in the people in our industry helps us understand um, why we are as passionate as we are and why we are such empaths, like being able to sort of like take on other people's struggles, which I think uh, a lot of people can like can speak to like our, our energy being able to balance our energy is is a a tough constant battle so i'm gonna pick on you lucy um when you have to balance out your energy being an empathetic person like what are your what are your best techniques for like filling your bucket especially now in the middle of like an ongoing pandemic and just with everything going on in the world funny you say that because i it was a very huge problem for me not being able to take people's bad energies but then also getting into politics and taking news, just anything would get me down for days. So my best techniques are hanging out with friends. However, if I am not doing my routine of meditating and gratitude journal and doing movement and exercising, then I can't really hang out with friends because I can't be present and I'll just want to think about work. Uh, So in order for me to do what really fills my cup and lets me not take work home um, requires me to take care of my mental health. That makes sense. Um, Harold, what what do you have to add on for uh, filling your bucket? Yeah, I mean, I have, I've got the same thing. Like for me, it's, it's meditations huge for me, um, which this might be like a a personal awareness thing, but like, I, I don't identify as somebody who meditates and I've also meditated twice a day very consistently for the last five years um and i feel like between meditation between um being like really aware of how sleep or the lack thereof affects me and how the different foods that i'm eating affect me uh has been huge i also make a make a concerted effort um to get out and ride my bike um pretty consistently uh during during pandemic and right now we just got a puppy like two weeks ago so it's a little bit harder to do that right now but it's been huge for just sort of getting the physical activity and the environment that sort of rejuvenates me. Definitely, definitely. Like in in terms of your expectations for 2020 in comparison to the outcome of 2020, what were your expectations for 2020, Harold? Oh, there were, there were so many things that I wanted to do. The first one that comes to my mind, there were, I've got a few strength coach friends who also ride mountain bikes and we had plans to do a few different races, um, together, which was like absolutely rad. Uh, Dan was going to come out from, from Washington. Rich was going to come down from, from Canada and we were going to like ride some bikes and it was going to be great. And I know that I had planned for myself to do lots of different adventures. I was like, I want to go hiking and climbing and like whitewater rafting and do a bunch of stuff. And now I'm like mostly sitting at home, sort of like longingly staring out the window, waiting for it to be safe to hug people again. Um, I really, I didn't realize how much I hugged people until it wasn't safe to be next next to folks. Um, and so one of the things that I actually feel really grateful for is that I am great at being present when I'm with somebody like in the, in the same space. And then I'm, awful at responding to messages if anyone messages me um and i i find that literally being physically distant from everybody except my wife has made me so much more aware of that and it's a lot easier to to talk to my friends now digitally and feel close to somebody even if we're physically far away 
Um, and I feel like that was an unexpected lesson. I didn't expect to learn that lesson with 2020, um, but I feel really excited about it. Well, that's super cool. I mean, just like a lot of us got a bit more self-aware just of our own like habits and our own tendencies mm -hmm. and our own strengths yeah. and weaknesses. Um, I'll, I'll interject and say really quickly, our, our technology isn't working. So this one will just be audio. Um, my video isn't capturing. So now we can like have dogs going through the background, whatever we want. So that's kind of cool. Um, so Lucy, <laughs> what, what has been the outcome versus your expectations for 2020? Like what were you expecting versus what's happened in reality? I've been trying to think about that the whole time. I don't remember. I don't remember what I was wanting or what my plan was pre pandemic. Um, but the, the outcome has been a roller coaster of lessons, a roller coaster of really, really good times and then really, really low times for me. And a lot of lessons of where I need to put my time. And I always felt like hanging out with people because I get really obsessed with work and I actually have OCPD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. So when I'm not doing well, like I literally can't have a conversation with loved ones, families, because I'm just thinking about like a sentence and that sentence usually turns into like content. And so most people see like all my content like, wow, that's so awesome. Like It's my coping mechanism. <laughs> um, so lessons of I can spend time or less time alone and more time with friends. And that really fills my cup. And I always felt like friends were going to take away from my work. And that's the biggest thing that I've come out at the outcome of 2020 is where my time needs to go and what I really enjoy doing, which is teaching. And it gave me that opportunity. I've done so much online teaching with coaches and so much practice that it really gave me direction to where I want to take things. And I think maybe in the beginning of 2020, I didn't have a direction. Like I didn't know, do I put all this time into my gym? Do I put all this time into Lucy Hendricks seminars? venturing so maybe that's why i can't remember because i didn't have a direction <laughs> well i think it's kind of cool like when we face a challenge i think some people are are so used to just seeing a challenge as something bad like seeing a pandemic mm -hmm. and that nothing good could possibly stem from it but i think a lot of people have found a lot of in in weird ways they found good things that have come from it like for for myself from like a podcast host perspective like the amount of people i've networked with in the last like three four months is just unreal and the amount that that helps me just personally and professionally and just like with like this kind of feels like we're hanging out and that's cool for me like i like that and i wouldn't have had that if i was uh chasing like Perhaps my goals before COVID-19 was such a, a presence in our life. My goals would be just to like um, get more income through more clients. But now my goals are to get like more fulfillment through my career via the perspective of other people. And I would have never been that, uh, that self-aware if having not been forced to do it, just like with time management and stuff. Um, something that was on my mind that I was thinking about because Lucy, I've seen that you've done some of your, uh, testimonials in your social media and just, I've, I've been seeing that you've been offering like the, the weekly, um, mobility type 
video session thing. So I want you to tell me a bit more about that, like what inspired you to do it and what it's been like, the, the wins and stuff like that. Yes, it's a weekly mindful movement, which is a service that I started with my clients, which is pretty much like a yoga type class with all the same positions that I coach on the training floor. So it's yoga that makes you a better lifter. And I, last year, I started doing yoga because I couldn't lift. I was really fatigued. That's when I was really struggling with mental illness. And yoga did such an amazing job at helping me heal and just building a movement practice in general being able to pay attention to your body for 45 minutes. And at the end of it, I noticed the meditation where they let you meditate for five minutes was just so impactful for me. And I wanted to create that for my clients because I'm very successful with yoga because I'm an ex-gymnast and I take cues well. I am very flexible. I'm strong. And what I started noticing when I would look around is all these people are fucking struggling. <laughs> like they're in pain. <laughs> they can't even touch their toes. It's like my clients can't do any of this, so they can't get the benefits of it. So what I did was I basically brought a movement practice to the level of everybody else, which are my clients. And that's where it came from. And when this whole pandemic happened, in the beginning, I kept seeing like, you know, this is a time where you got to be productive. You got to put in the work. And I felt like I really had something with mindful movement. I felt like it was something that needs to become a thing, like where people take a certification or something, a service that needs to be provided. So I put it out there and I said I would do free classes for fitness professionals for a couple reasons. Clearly, selfishly, I need to get good at this. I need to get my reps in to see what works, what doesn't work. But the big reason was I got to go to yoga and do float tanks and see my therapist because my boyfriend at the time paid for it and my mom paid for it. Like if I would have been left to pay for my therapy and yoga and float tanks and trips, I wouldn't have been able to do any of it. So like, where would I be now? So I wanted to give back because most fitness professionals don't have that much money. So I wanted them to have an opportunity to have a movement practice as well. And then they can learn to provide that service. Because if you could give that type of service, then you can be a trainer on people's good days and their bad days. Because people have a lot of bad days. They have times where they don't sleep. They have times where they have work deadlines, autoimmune flare-ups, pain flare-ups, pandemic. Like some of our clients just did our mindful movement because that's all they can handle. Yeah. So that's another reason. They want the trainers to learn and you learn by experiencing it yourself. Well, I think that's really awesome. And even on the topic of bad days, I think everybody on this podcast has bad days. And I think everybody that we work with, like branching out, has had bad days. And it's just like, sometimes people forget, like even the leaders, even the instructors. And what was that? I'm so sorry. All good. <laughs> I, I think there's a drill in the wall next well, in the apartment next door. I'm switching rooms. Okay. So Sorry. I'll, I'll keep uh, going on my tangent. Just like everybody's having a bad day. Uh, regardless, <laughs> it's so loud. I'll just wait. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just going to hang awesome. out in my kitchen. All right. Are we good? I think so. Okay. <laughs> the, 
that's perfect that that's what makes a good podcast is having that cameo of the electric drill but essentially we all have our bad days and some of us express it some of us don't but our clients need to know that we have bad days and the people in our life yeah. need to know that we have bad days because then we can kind of know like to check on each other check on our colleagues check on our the people we look up to we can check on them and like there's there's nobody that you can't check up on like there's no such thing as over overshooting it like worst case scenario maybe we annoy them that day but i think uh especially in times of um crisis or like if if anybody has like a, a family member that's struggling I, I can't even imagine having to deal with a parent going through something like diabetes and like needing people to be sort of like um an empath in that moment sort of thing mm-hmm. um so back on the topic of the the mindful movement so lucy are you still offering that today like is that something that's going to be going forward sort of thing yeah i have been um mostly because i i enjoy it so much i the people the regulars that started doing it every every week appreciate it so much and if you appreciate what i'm providing like i'll do it for free the whole time it's a it's a really bad problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah my my business partner is not so happy with like oh just do it for free (laughs) I have a bad relationship with money, but it's so enjoyable. And it's awesome to teach them at the end. So at the end, I'll do like a 45 minute lesson um, and whatever questions they have, I'll answer. So it's, it's been really fun. It's uh, been getting me to practice because I'm releasing an eight week internship and it's going to be all online. So it's been a lot of good practice with them. Well, I think it's, uh, a lot of us give away a lot of our time and our energy for free and just because of the personality types that people in the fitness industry are (laughs) because of all of that uh a lot of people tend to just give 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 but it does i think it does pay off like i in my limited experience i've seen a lot of people um reach out and give a hand to somebody with less experience and lend an ear to someone that needs like some some compassion and and support um to get to the point that i'm getting at is if someone's listening to this podcast and they want to join in on the mindful movement are they invited to mindful movement yes they are and it's on my instagram if you go to my link in my bio you'll see where you can sign up through zoom and all you need is a yoga mat and i will modify everything for you and yeah Awesome. Awesome. And then how do they find you on Instagram if they're not following you already? Uh, Lucy Dash Hendricks. Perfect. Perfect. Because like that's been something that I have like brought up to clients or brought up to friends. I'm like, you got to follow my friend Lucy Hendricks on Instagram because she's offering this super cool thing. And I think it would be helpful. And I think sometimes the barrier uh, for a person taking that next step in like their their fitness or wellness is not being able to visualize themselves actually going through that process or not knowing what that process looks like that it's just as simple as you follow this person on social media and then you go into the link in their bio and you sign yourself up and they might be a stranger at first or it might be something that uh 
gives you a bit of anxiety to go into, but it's like it's a worthwhile risk. Like I think in life we we should take a lot of risks. Um, with that being said, we're gonna jump over to Harold and. When you shared sort of like your journey into the industry and that moment that you met Mark Fisher, like what was that moment like? Like what was, what were your thoughts when you're finding someone that you seem to have some shared core values with or a shared passion yeah. with? Um, it's, it's funny that you phrase it like that because when we met, I wasn't aware of our shared values. I was aware of our, our shared passion. And I think that I was still in like my little shell, specifically at Perform Better, like I get very introverted and I take like a ton of notes. So I basically like spend the entire weekend like typing as many of the words coming out of the presenter's mouths as possible. Um, and uh, I don't know if y'all know Brian Patrick Murphy, he was one of like the, the co-founding coaches of MFF. He was uh, very loudly answering all of uh, Thomas Plummer's rhetorical questions. So Thomas Plummer, who's like this fitness business guru, was like, and do you think that your clients come to you so that they don't get any results? And Brian is like, no. Um, and so it was like bizarre that I was, I'm my quietest when I'm learning and Brian is like screaming and Mark and Kyle are like, like taking notes and they're like, ask him this, ask him that. So I thought that we were really, really different when we met. Um, and, and now I feel like he's like one of the people in the world that I'm the closest to because there's so many different things that we do, do unite on. And for me, it comes down to taking all of our skills or expertise or, or time and energy and, and trying to craft and create ways to empower people. Um, and I think that, that for, for Mark's entrance into the fitness world was he was, he was coaching while he was acting and like, acting was was the job and coaching was like the, the, the side hustle and then he was like hold on i'm helping so many people as a coach like i'm going to just focus on that and he built the snatch in six weeks program and opened the gym and i think that when i when i think about how my dad's health declined and he ultimate ultimately passed away i think about ways to hey how can i be somebody's entry points to self-care in a way that they enjoy and appreciate. I think there's a difference between um, any fitness professional giving somebody uh, an experience that makes them feel empowered and a doctor saying you have to exercise or you're gonna die. Uh, it would, years ago, I would have been like, hell yeah, if somebody tells you if you don't exercise, you're gonna die, you're probably gonna do it. And now I realize most people probably aren't gonna do it. But if you can give somebody an enriching and empowering experience, then they're far more likely to seek out more of those experiences. And so that's sort of like Mark and my uh, collective MO, and to be fair, the entire team at MFF, we're all sort of, I use the word obsessed very intentionally. We're all obsessed with figuring out ways to get people excited to move their bodies and get them excited to come together in community. And it is rarely actually about the exercise and it is almost always about the collective and cohesive group experience together. So there's something that sets MFF apart from almost any other facility and a lot of my audience won't know. So mm -hmm. to, to speak to them from like, basically they know nothing about the facility. They know nothing about like the, the community or anything like that. How would you describe it to them in a way that helps them really understand what, what sets 
your community apart and what makes it so special? Oh, that's so it's that should be such a simple answer. And it's so hard for me. Um, I want to say that that so instead of calling the place a gym, we don't call MFF a gym uh, legally. That's what it is. But we call it the Enchanted Clubhouse of Glory and Dreams. Uh, we don't refer to anyone with a membership as uh, members or as clients. We refer to them as ninjas. Uh, and and the entire uh, sort of like aesthetic emotionally is that this is a safe space for people to come together and move their bodies. Um, so the entire, from like the moment you like see the place from down the street, the entire, I mean, like literally there's a sign that we put out, out front when we're open that says, uh, hate gyms, step inside. And the entire idea is like, hey, this is a safe space to come to learn how to move your body and to learn about yourself that it, I think is different than a lot of the fitness facilities in there, out there. Um, I know that we're in the world of like one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching and helping people under our watchful eyes. But I find like most big box gyms, which aren't inherently bad, but most of them, it's basically some version of paying rent for equipment. Like you get a membership, you swipe your card and you go in and you pray. Um, and I find that fitness is this weird, uh, fitness basically is a, a mechanism of confirmation bias where if somebody believes they know what they're doing, they find fitness that confirms that they know what they're doing. And if somebody believes they don't know what they're doing, they find fitness that confirms their inability to do fitness. And I find that to be inherently problematic. So one of the beautiful things about the MFF community is that we've got people of all abilities and we have people of all uh, fitness levels and experience levels. And you can come into, I mean, I say all of this through the lens of three and a half months ago when we were still open, but, but we've, got, we've got folks who are like 70 years old and have had like three of their four ball and socket joints replaced. We have people who are like 20 year old actors who are exercising for the first time. We've got people who are 50 year old accountants who are exercising for the first time. Um, and, and the unifying factor across everybody without being like really particular about demographic data is that everyone is there to meet themselves where they're at and then just take the next step forward rather than saying, let's work towards this, uh, this societal goal or this cultural goal or this like predetermined goal of what fitness should be. Um, and the thing that I get the most excited about is that when everyone sort of comes in and gets to wear the the honorary title of being a ninja. Basically there's like 700 people who are like, here's how I'm getting better today. And I think that is so, so fucking cool. Sorry, I'm not allowed to curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's so fucking cool that, that there could be, everybody has different goals and everyone there is willing to support them in reaching their individual goals. Well, and I think there there's some things that really stand out in all of that in being able to come in and you are a ninja, no matter how you identify what you look like, how old you are, what you do for work, what, yeah. what your passions are, you get to feel that sense of belonging. And that takes like, you have to rep that out to be able to get to that level. Like if we go back in the time machine a little bit, can you identify a few defining moments where you, where it was like a big rep where you were like, wow, now that I've gone through this, I have much more understanding and how to make more people feel like ninjas than what I did before. Are you able to think yeah. of something? Yeah. The one specific example, this is so long ago. This is probably 
this is probably six and a half years ago. It was right when I started. Um, my wife was was coaching at the time. She she worked at MFF for like the first five and a half years that I was there, and then she she ended up turned. She was the membership director, and then she left to do a study abroad program. And Katie was coaching a class in the downstairs classroom, and I was coaching a ninja like in technically what is the next storefront over. And he was he was deadlifting, and he was like. I he was like Harold I love deadlifting with you but I've been working on my deadlift for like three months with Katie and I feel so ready to set a PR today but I want I want to do it with her like I want her to be here and I was like you can wait like if you if you're ready and you want to do it let's do it but if you if you want to wait till you're training with Katie that's totally fine and he was like no I really want her to do it and so he and I and one other ninja carried the way the plates and the hex bar um outside down the street and then down a staircase so that he could literally do the deadlift in front of her while she was teaching a different class. Um, and I rem I remember it like it was yesterday because like we took a video and everything and Billy was so excited about it and Katie was so excited about it. And I just can't think of another environment where the, the client is like, hey, it means so much to me to accomplish this. And I want to share it with the people who have shared their love and support with me. Um, and I think about moments like that. And then the mo the most modern uh, up-to-date versions of that is we've got this like pretty robust online training community right now called MFF Homebody. And there are people who are taking classes who are still, we've always had theme days. There's always people who are like, let's dress up for whatever the holiday is. And there are people now who are figuring out like, hey, how can I dress up for the theme of class, uh, Amanda Wheeler put together something called Wild Card Wednesday, where the, the Wednesday classes have specific themes. And people are like, all right, this is one of our coaches is from, oh God, where's Sam from? Uh, I know his family now lives in Newfoundland. So we have like, we have like, they have like a Canada themed class. Um, and there was a Britney Spears themed class. And people are showing up with all of these, uh, all of this memorabilia and merchandise and their clothing. And I just don't know of any other places where people are putting together such emphasis on coming together in community. Uh, and I think it's both of those are really beautiful. Billy wanting to deadlift in front of Katie, I think is so rad. And then the ninjas being like, I'll bring you my shirt, put it in a bag, like wash it so that COVID is out of it and then wear it for class. I think that's so cool because I think uh, we underestimate the value of those little efforts like that. Like, um, mm -hmm how much more sustainable fitness could be for one individual or for a collection of individuals. And like, that's, that's what we're here for. We're not here to put people in a box. We're here to figure out like what makes them who they are and understand it better sort of thing, I guess. Yeah. So when we were talking about, uh, we were talking about mindful movement and we were talking about um, just like being able to, see yourself being able to do something and i want to get onto the topic of like seminars and podcasts that we see and uh, mentorship opportunities so first i'll get it from the perspective of you lucy like for you being a female in the industry um have you always seen someone that you were like that person reminds me of me as someone that you're learning from or or like what what's your journey been like with that <laughs> that's a very loaded question um it wouldn't have been a loaded question a couple <laughs> months ago but it is now um no i 
I never thought that it was important to look at the people at the top and see yourself. I, I never, but I was always a female speaker. And even then I felt like, or I know that I was out of ignorance, part of the problem of where are the other females or it should be important for other females to be here because of other females. Or I didn't even see the importance of me being up there. And I think it's because I didn't have representation growing up either. And I, when I moved here from Guatemala, so I'm half white, half Guatemalan. And when I moved here, subconsciously, never bullied. My mom never told me, like, people will make fun of you. I was never made fun of. I got rid of my Rivera last name and only used Hendrix. Um, I worked really hard on not having an accent. I didn't want to get tanned for the longest time because I didn't want people to think I was Mexican. But no one ever told me to do that. I just kind of did that. So I just almost assimilated to the white population and because I could. And then I also reflected back from my childhood of how I did the opposite and I assimilated to Guatemalan and I wouldn't speak English because my mom's American. And I didn't even remember that until this year. I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't even speak English to my mom. I just wanted to speak Spanish. And then when I moved here, it was just like, flip, now I'm white. And then I was reading White Fragility a few years ago and they talked about like Hispanic kids and black kids will grow up thinking that white people are already superior. And then looking back when I moved here, I'm like, was that what I was doing? I thought white people were superior. I mean, clearly, because I tried to get rid of my accent. I didn't want to be tan. I got rid of my last name, like all that stuff. And then if you think who holds the power or representation of a 13 year old girl, who is that? Like, it's not the president, it's not the politicians. It's TV, full house, all white people. Um, Olsen twins, white people. I mean, just think of all the Pepper Ann, like all the people that influenced me, all white people. And when they did have Hispanics on there, I mean, how are they represented? They're represented as dumb with a dumb accent. And so subconsciously, when I moved to the U.S., I assimilated as a white person because I didn't have any representation. I never saw someone like me at the top. And because I was bi um, biracial, I just chose one. I'm like, okay, I don't like see AOC or even, you know, I don't see people at the top as a 13-year-old girl. So I just turned into a white person and lost my identity or not lost it, but let go of it for now or as I was growing up and the fitness industry is the same thing people need to be able to see people at the top and see themselves people need to be able to see their race they need to be able to see their sexual orientation they need to be able to see like their capabilities everything mental illness and we have a lot of lack of representation in the industry um, and of course, the black community is a targeted group that is impacted the most in this. But it's not just the black community, it's women, it's people in the queer community, it's people with mental illness. So um, I think it's an important topic to bring up a lot in the street. Definitely. And I mean, I look at it, there's like an analogy that I'll use, and it's basically like if you put a whole bunch of value on a table, and 
that like what is happening when we're not looking for value in diversity is it's like we're taking like half the value off the table but not knowing it we think we took the whole thing but we only took half like in my experiences like i've interviewed like 120 people in the span of like less than two years and it's taught me so much and within that group of people there have been several different ethnicities there have been several different backgrounds several different ages genders etc 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 and i wouldn't be the person that i am if not for every single one of those conversations and then i would be a much different person if my conversations were nothing but like if even from the standpoint of fitness industry versus not fitness industry because sometimes i'll interview people who aren't even in the fitness industry and it still may be a better trainer or at least it may be a better human so that all the other things that I do mm -hmm. become better. And I look at it from the standpoint of we we discussed like repping out things like uh, repping out the mindful movement, like repping out um, being able to help people become better ninjas through all the different experiences of like carrying like the deadlift bar and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And everybody that comes to the table with a different identity or a different way of representing themselves or a different uh, workout preference. Everybody that comes to that table and should have a spot at the table, I will say they should all have a spot at the table. Um, they've repped something out and we're not going to know what that is unless we're open to understanding it. And so like I think of everything that I've learned from like female fitness professionals that I would have never understood had I not um, made the space in my my like day or in my uh podcast like i listen to podcasts that are hosted by female fitness professionals and i prioritize that in my day because they just have a way of asking questions that i wouldn't be able to ask so i learn different things that i wouldn't have learned otherwise and then i've Recently, like with, with everything going on, I would have to say my Instagram connections have gotten extremely diverse and I've learned so much perspective through that. Like I'm listening to people from California who are black and I'm listening to people from like, I, I know that I found a couple podcasts from like the UK and I found podcasts from other parts of the US and our, other parts of Canada. And it's just like, Unless we see all the value on the table, we're not going to get it. We're just going to take half of it and think we have it all. And so even from like a, a self-serving, like selfish standpoint, um, we're, we're losing out on all this value. So if somebody is thinking to themselves that they want to um, be better or more successful, they're going to have to like get around to the point where you should even even as a straight white male you should learn from lgbtq plus people and you should learn from people of color and you should learn from black people and you should learn from just every different type of human being that you could possibly ever encounter has something to share because everybody's done their reps and everybody's uh put in some experience now that i finished off with a tangent um harold do you have anything to add to this topic that we're on yeah, I, I love it. Oh my God. The first thing that I'm going to add is that I 
want to know what they're doing with the drill downstairs. It honestly um, sounds like the purge is coming through your town. <laughs> <laughs> I literally can't figure out. We have we have like uh, two bedrooms and like a living room in the middle, and I'm literally like, where are they? I can't figure out where they're doing stuff. Um, I feel like this is re related to sort of what you were both saying is that they're we have such a homogenous and myopic fitness community where I think that there's, I know a lot of coaches and to be fair, I've followed a lot of coaches on Instagram who only ever talk about coaching. Um, and regardless of what's going on in the world, their, their Instagram feeds are the same. And to be fair, that was me until a few months ago. Um, and one of the things I'm trying to be aware of is like, we, everyone can learn physiology but there is so much more to being a coach and really to being a person than just like, what is the mitochondria doing? And I, I, I've been recently trying to think through what are the lessons that we can learn from people that is based on their identity. Um, I know that in the, in the evidence-based side of, of fitness, there are so many of us who don't want to have opinions and we don't want to have preferences. So we, we lead our, our, our opinions with, well, according to the science and recent research, but we fail to acknowledge that that is based on um, hierarchies of power. So the one that came to my mind when Lucy, you were, you were talking about um, growing up in Guatemala and it just made me realize that like, I know, I remember when intermittent fasting sounded like it was the biggest thing in the world. And I don't know, let's say it was like six years ago. I feel like every single person I trained was like, Harold, intermittent fasting, should I do it? And I was, I took what I thought was like a John Berardi approach, which was like, yeah, you should sort of like know what it's like to be hungry, but like, it's not really going to make the biggest difference. Um, and just this last year, one of the ninjas and I were talking and she was like, hey, I'm fasting for Ramadan and it feels I like, I'm super aware of how good I feel. And I feel like my, my sugar cravings are gone and my alcohol cravings are gone. And I feel like the quality of my diet has improved because of this participation in fasting for Ramadan. And there is nothing that I think I can do educationally as a, a straight white man to convince somebody that intermittent fasting is good for their health that the cultural experience of being in a family and in a community that is practicing this religious, um, uh, not, not discipline, this, this re religious practice is learning from. And I remember thinking like, oh shit, if I, just, if I just took my experiences and my knowledge and my preferences, and I was like, hey, anonymous ninja, you should do it like this. I wouldn't have best served her. But being able to say, oh, okay, so fasting is part of your life because it is part of your religious practice. Let's see what you can learn from that. That to me is so much more important than saying like, here's one diet that fits all, or here's one way of eating that fits all. Um, and while, while I'm thinking about nutrition, one of, one of the, the ninjas who I adore, and we have conversations about this stuff all the time, she and I have been talking about f food deserts and access to food. And I know that a lot of the fitness industry that I see that is like straight white people on Instagram is like, here's my free range kale and here's my organic quinoa. Um, I like saying free range kale because I'm imagining a kale plant walking around in the forest. And it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> let me go find more sunshine. Um, and, and so much of the fitness industry is like, you have to do the perfect workout and you have to eat the, the, all the phytos, go eat all the phytos. And like some people, the best vegetables that they can get are like frozen peppers. And I don't see space 
for them. And I don't see space for the people who can't afford gym memberships. Um, it feels like, like because of capitalism, fitness is extremely uh, serving to affluent people. And basically everyone else gets like trickle down fitness education. Um, and I just don't believe in trickle down economics or trickle down education. Um, so I'm really intrigued by how we can, what Lucy said before, like diversify the, the presenters and the speakers and the experts and allow there to be a variety of solutions because the world has a variety of people. Um, it's, it's almost like, uh, I know that like, like BMI is based basically based on like white European men. And I feel like the entire fitness industry is like that. The entire fitness industry seems to be, and I'm generalizing for the sake of it, but it seems to be that we're saying like, well, everyone's going to have access to vegetables and everyone's going to have access to a squat rack. And because you've got that, here's the way to do it. When in reality, the vast majority of the world doesn't have access to the equipment that, that we, some of us are fortunate enough to have or privileged enough to have. And a lot of people don't have access to the nutrition. So it, to me, it's super important that we diversify the voices and normalize a variety of experiences. So it's not just this myopic, like prowlers and barbells because the, we, they're, they're cool. I like them, but most people won't have that access. Well, I thought that was awesome. Just the way you articulated all of that and just kind of like the direction that it took. Cause it got me thinking like the value of learning about other people and what makes up their environment like i know for a fact that i have listeners to this podcast and they um are active in practicing ramadan so they're going to have things that make up who they are things that make up their lifestyle that i don't understand however in saying that i have people on my instagram who did like this little video and educated about ramadan and like the children in the family did the video and so they described it to me and I thought that was so cool because it was something that wouldn't inherently affect me at first glance. But when I learn about it, I realize how much other people's customs should affect me. Like, um, it's a small world. Like, I find that we all have different connections regardless of our geography and just how we can impact each other positively. So when we understand the environments of each other and we understand how much Harold likes popcorn, then we can be in that position to improve each other's (laughs) environment. Like when it comes to like fitness and wellness is just like not necessarily putting on other people what we think that they need, but understanding where, what makes them who they are, what environment that they're in, and using our mm-hmm. vast skill set to make incremental improvements that are sustainable over the course of like 20, yeah. 30, 40 years. Yeah, I just got I just got so amped up about this. Can I share an idea with you guys? Yes. So, sorry, sorry, I said guys, Lucy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I want to share an idea with y'all. So there, do y'all know the book um, uh, Born to Run from Chris McDougall, Christopher McDougall? It was, I feel like, I don't, I think I came out in the last decade and it was about the uh, Tarahumara Indians of Northern Mexico. They're in, I believe it's Copper Canyon, Mexico. And there's this, this uh, indigenous population where people were like, they are, they're, they're the, the heroes of the story because they run hundreds of miles in a week, if not in a day. And I remember when the book came out, it was like the big, I think it was the big impetus a decade ago for like Vibram Five Fingers and for the New Balance Minimus and for all these minimalist shoes. And 
Alex Hutchinson, who's a, a, a like exercise science and fitness writer. He has a few different columns and one of them is for Outside Magazine. And he just wrote this incredible article for Outside where it basically is the same uh, anthropologist, I believe he's from MIT, who did the original research with the Tarahumara Indians. And it was basically like, here is why they're such good runners. And it basically was like, they're good runners because they run barefoot and the, the, the what is it, the windless mechanism in the foot is like, that's why they're fantastic runners. And the conclusion from the new study basically was that we need to banish this false, I'm reading from my screen, banish this false and dehumanizing notion uh, that we label the fallacy of the athletic savage. And it says that, yes, they are among the world's best long distance runners, but it is incorrect to stereotype and commodify them as a hidden tribe of super athletes uh, who naturally run long distances be because they were uncontained by Western civilization. Tarumare running, like everything else about their culture, needs to be understood in its larger social, economic, spiritual, and ecological contexts. And I read this article and I got like the biggest brain boner because I realized that so much of this is like we, we fetishize athletic capacity without having any context for where it comes from. And in the, in the, the entire article is great. Everyone who's listening should Google it. It's called Terramara Runner Study. It's from Outside Magazine. And basically it's like, hey, the reason that they're such good runners is because they run as part of their culture. Their community comes together for running as competition, for running as, as events, for, for running as uh, bonding. So everything in the community and their culture is, ba is based on moving on two feet. And without that context, I think there were, a, there were a lot of people last decade who were running in New York City with their Vibram Five Fingers and then had compound or, or they had stress fractures and like compounding injuries because there wasn't proper contextualization of the information. And this is like one particular example of this, this one group that has become famous because of a book, but it goes for all of the, the peoples all around the world, right? Like every different culture and um, society has the athletic events or the physical activities that are integral to their culture. And I think there's this weird, like there's this weird whitewashing in the fitness world where if it's not deadlifts and bench press, and if you can't quantify it, it doesn't matter. And to me, the reality is if people are participating in anything that is better than participating in nothing, and if we can sort of encourage people to explore activities in their community, if that is um, the person who is their roommate in their, their apartment in San Francisco, or if that's the activities that their grandparents did in in the town that they lived in that feels to me so much more important than saying like here's how you do fitness it's one size fits all good luck fitting in um it it really feels more important than ever to me to make sure that we can encourage people to do anything that they want and and people the education that we have tend to have skills that can help them get there Totally. Well, I think that was a, a very valuable point to make. And it kind of got me thinking about like, when I look around the gym, there's always going to be people that are stronger. There's always going to be people that are more talented or articulate or smarter or uh, better with anything. And if my clients are in the gym and they're kind of looking around and feeling intimidated or they're feeling, oh, I'll, I'll never lift that or, or something along those lines. One of the best things 
one of my favorite things to say, maybe not the best, but my favorite things to say is um, giving them insight to that person. Like most of the strongest people, most of the most educated, smartest, talented, articulate people have built like this, uh, this collection of resilience. Like they've had to go through some tough stuff. Like we talk about exercising as an escape, like, just think about how many times that person had to escape for their mental health and how that compounded over time. Or just think about uh, how many times that person failed or how, how anxious they were their first time. Like Everybody in the gym, no matter how big they are, strong, uh, quick, swift, cunning, um, charismatic, no matter what skill that they have that is special, that makes them who they are, uh, they, they didn't look like that their first rep. And so no matter what environment we find ourselves in, whichever ninjas we're surrounded by, like we got to rep it out just like them. And to learn about people's tools for resilience might be even more valuable than worrying about what they're doing on their day 20,000 when you're on your day one sort of thing. Yeah. So on my episodes as of late, I've had the guests give a challenge to my audience. So I'm going to start with you, Lucy. You're going to say your challenge for the day is, and then give the audience a challenge for the day. Okay. Um, cool. Ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, your challenge for the day is to seek out people that don't look like you. But not in like a weird way. So have some self-awareness. Because um, <laughs> I, we talk about, I want to like give a little rant of, because like I love what Harold, I love what everybody says about diversity. Um, we need to seek more diversity. But then I think that gets, people now think they have to like demand different people. Like where are the people with mental illness? Where are the women? Where are the black people? And that's, like, first, we have to really think what the reason why there's only just white people on the panel. And it's because we don't know other people that don't look like us. And with being genuine and out of curiosity, like get to know people that don't look like you. So when you make decisions, they're already included. You don't have to make that extra step of like, if I'm doing a panel and putting together a panel for I don't know, any type of topic or any type of niche. I don't have to think of like, who am I going to invite? Oh, and the black person. It's like I've gotten to know these people that they're already included or not just the black community, but people with mental illness, women, uh, the queer community. So just my challenge is figure out how you're going to get to know people that don't look like you and not in a weird way. I love it. So then we're going to turn the table to Harold. What is your challenge for the day? I love that. Um, I want to encourage, as I will acknowledge my introvertedness, and I want to uh, encourage people to, or challenge people to find uh, some, some very consistent support, either within individual or within their communities. Um, I, think, I think social support and social um, networking it, uh, social networking is like a garbage term now because everyone is thinking, of, I, I say it and I think about Facebook immediately. Um, but I, I think that having a support network is something that I've really learned firsthand at MFF and something that most of us don't have. I still remember going to like a commercial gym and putting on my headphones 
and praying that I didn't have to ask people to work in with them. And that was like, as a strength coach, I was like, oh man, I hate going to the gym because like there's people there. And I think that there's so much value to working out in a community. That could be having a lifting partner. Um, that could be having a running group or a cycling group. That could be just like texting your friend and saying, hey, I'm gonna go do some push-ups. Like meet me in 20 reps, text me back in 20 reps. Um, so I think that that I will, I wanna incorporate Lucy's uh, challenge because like you could do that with a, a diverse group of people, right? It doesn't need, they, I wanna say like, it should be people who don't look like you. Um, if it feels like you're looking in the mirror, then then, then we could we could learn even more. Um, but it would be do it do it with support. Do do the physical activity with support. And I think that will help us so much more as individuals and hopefully as a society as well. Well, I think that's really valuable because like even in my own personal experiences, like following programming and then knowing that other people are following that same programming even though we're in different areas geographically, like I can totally text somebody up and be like, yeah, I did uh, five miles on the air bike and I felt like dying. How about you? And they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, I also felt like dying. And then it's just, yeah. you get to bet, uh, bond and, and come together in that moment. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. And so that basically wraps up our episode for today, but I had a lot of fun, so maybe we'll have to do this again. So thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.